Hello listeners, however many or few, and welcome to the Eastern Connection, the only guide you'll ever need when it comes to doing business with the Chinese. Hello and welcome back to the latest episode of the Eastern Connection. It has been a while, but in this episode we'll be examining how relationships with the Chinese are defined, as well as covering how we can build them and secure them. The word in Mandarin Chinese is 关系, and although there's no one way to define it in English, it widely and generally refers to personal connections and relationships to you and I, and how they're defined within Chinese society. In the most practical way I can think of to explain it with some sense of relevance, it refers to the concept of drawing on one's connection to secure favors in personal relations. But there is an implication there of continued exchanges of favors. Just as with the last episode and the concept of face, this concept may be a bit difficult to understand. So let's go through it together. Being a bit of a joke amongst expats, Guanxi might as well be more accurately described as relationships with mutual obligations, as there's an implied element of what we in the West would call "you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours." Business relationships in the West are probably best described as transactional, which is to say that we can do business with just about anyone, much to the delight of every commission-chasing salesperson in the Western world. If there is a product or service and a customer that wants it, then there is no problem. We don't have to know the salesperson very well at all, and any of the typical "so what do you do for work?" attempts from, say, a car salesman isn't going to make me see him as any more approachable. In China, business culture as a whole is relationship-based. One's wealth isn't always defined by how much money one has in the bank, but rather by the health and strength of one's relationship network. Of course, Western business culture has a lot to do with relationships, but never in the same way as the layered system of Guanxi. To use a real-life example, actually, I'm going to try to steer clear of that sleazy used car salesman image. Let's say I'm in the market for a provider of promotional products, you know, like pens, notebooks, mugs, etc. Then my account manager will probably keep in touch with me over the course of our business relationship, not just to get to know my purchasing habits or to try and sell me stuff, but they'll likely get to know me and strike up a personal relationship. We may connect on LinkedIn,、uh, exchange personal details from the first part of one of their sales calls. That doesn't stop the fact that it will always come down to the bottom line. And it won't stop me from seeking a better price from one of their competitors and doing some sort of transactional business without knowing the salesperson at all. In China, once the price is finally agreed, my relationship with my counterpart will grow and become fruitful. Guanxi itself will almost single-handedly determine the success or failure of one's business relationships and endeavors with the Chinese. And despite what you might read online about it, there may certainly be ways that you can improve your chances of building stronger Guanxi 
but there are certainly no secrets to building it. The only secret is to be honest, be yourself, be respectful, and follow through on any promises that you make. Basically, doing what you'll say you're going to do, no matter how exhaustive or pointless it might seem to you in the end. Above all, putting a high value on loyalty and friendship. Now, if you've listened to all episodes prior to this one, you might be starting to notice a bit of a theme developing with these characteristics, and quite honestly, you should be. A healthy amount of these comes straight from Confucian theory, if you remember. Chinese people feel more comfortable doing business with someone that they know, or someone introduced to them by someone they know. Even if you start out as two strangers, that's when you begin to develop guanxi. The very concept of guanxi came from the Confucian belief that one should build a social network that was based on hierarchy and trust in order to create and maintain a social and economic balance. Now, I'm not quite sure how they do it, but Chinese people, in my opinion, seem to have a fantastic memory for who owes them what favor and to whom they owe a favor. It's really something. The web of Guanxi typically consists of a handful of different contacts, typically one's own immediate family and wider relatives, colleagues, former classmates,、uh, people of powerful rank and positions of authority, and basically every person that you've become acquainted with within the above list. But as I explained in the last episode, there is a culture of reciprocity in China, and that holds equal weight with Guanxi. That's to say, it isn't just a matter of one's own personal networked relationships, contacts, or level of influence, but it also includes the idea of social debts. Social debts were traditionally considered to be extremely longer-lasting, almost lifelong. You know, if you lose touch with someone, let's say you move away. It isn't necessarily the case that you two will never hear from each other again. You can still expect to hear from someone out of the blue after having gained favour with each other years before, for them only to call on you unexpectedly. Practical example time. Let's say I work in a company and get chummy with my coworkers as one does. After currying favour with them, one of my deskmates on my cluster confides in me that she's planning to relocate to another city for her husband's job. Which just happens to be my hometown. She doesn't know anyone there, and she would need to move there first, and then interview with companies to maybe find a job while living off of either her husband's income, if not her savings as well. Now, I was born and raised in that city. After graduation, I came up in my profession in that city, and can not only point her in the right direction to find a job, but can even maybe put her in touch with some higher ups that I have good relationships with. I wouldn't necessarily be cashing in a favor for them to hire her, but I would be using my relationships with them to make the introduction, and then say if I had a favor to ask of her, she would oblige. If a Chinese friend wanted me to co-sign on a tourist visa for my country, I could do it. I would expect them to at least do the same for me should that day come, and if it was necessary. But the return favors don't necessarily have to be in kind. Most importantly, however, to refuse or fail to return a favor is a very big mistake indeed—a slap in the face almost to any Chinese. This is one of the quickest ways to burn bridges with a Chinese person, and to not return the favor will certainly destroy any guanxi that you'd managed to build. As I said before, there's an implication of a continued exchange of favors. 
It may seem like a lot of effort to respond with the favour that you're called for, but you do it anyway, for the sake of your relationship. Now, some Westerners might be seen to have an issue with the idea of guanxi, especially when it comes to doing business. And for reasons of it, potentially seeming underhanded and possibly unfair, given that most people will always take their business to someone based on a predetermined relationship, but that's only compared to what they're used to. It might not seem fair at all to lose out on a bid because someone else, even with an offering that isn't as good, would be successful in achieving that bid because of a relationship that they have. By our Western standards in terms of what is considered fair, the Chinese over time haven't seen much fairness. Everyday people have had little to no personal freedoms as we know them, and admittedly take them for granted, but they've had plenty of rules to follow, leaving their society to be almost self-policed. Unlike our Western cultures, they do not have the rights and freedoms to protect them from their leaders, and so no Chinese had expectations of what would be right, fair, or what would conform to the rules or not because I think it's also fair to say that the rules in place are largely there to protect those in power. I've said my piece. If there are any Chinese listening, then please don't take offence to what I've said. This is how we see it from a Western perspective, based on what we are used to, so drawing the comparison shouldn't be seen so much as an attack, but more to help other Westerners understand the difference between the two cultures. The idea of Guanxi somewhat goes against the Western mantra of taking responsibility for one's own successes and failures, as well as the responsibility for one's own actions, and having to rely on Guanxi would not be seen as the Western way. When it comes to building Guanxi, there is no quick fix, almost in the same sense that there's no straight-shooting way to make friends, for example, because there are countless situational factors that have to be taken into account. But rest assured, Guanxi is something that is built over time. There is, however, some kind of basis for establishing Guanxi, almost predetermined. The establishment is dependent entirely on the availability of any of the following bases, which are defined as some kind of common or shared identification between two or more people. Some are more important than others, and these don't really apply to Westerners looking to do business with the Chinese, but more to the Chinese with each other, in a historical sense. They are based on things like one's hometown, dialect, kinship, workplace, etc. There is a category within this called Shengren. The Shengren stranger or mere acquaintance category includes all those who are outside the family unit and with whom one has not established any meaningful relationship through past interactions. These could include members of one's own local community, fellow employees who work in the same, probably larger, company, or business customers. Interactions with Shangren are superficial and temporary and are dominated by utilitarian concerns. The focus is on personal gain and loss, and the defining characteristic of this relationship is instrumentality without affection, unlike the relationship with subcultures known as which primarily involves affection, or which has both an instrumental and an effect component, but is for acquaintances. 
there are seven principles of guanxi, and they are each important for us to know when it comes to understanding how it works. Firstly, guanxi is transferable. In our example, close your eyes and just imagine this for a second, whether you're on the subway, at home, in the car, maybe not in the car. In fact, keep your eyes open. <laughs> there are three people, person A, person B, and person C. We are going to call them Tom, Richard, and Harry to help you better understand. If Tom has good guanxi with Richard, and Richard is friends with Harry, then Richard can introduce Tom to Harry, or vice versa. It's often the case that a formal business correspondence will not receive a reply until some level of personal contact has been established. Now, the success of this newly formed relationship depends almost entirely on how satisfied Richard feels with his level of guanxi with both Tom and Harry. We would probably refer to this as any friend of Richard's is a friend of mine. The transferability of the whole thing highlights the fact that guanxi is completely different to friendship, whereby affection is unnecessary as a prerequisite for guanxi, but it's required for friendship. It seems to be the strongest of guanxi relations that contain a level of affection, hence friendships. Partners with weak guanxi, basically anyone that's starting out cold, are not necessarily friends. I think it's important to expand on what I said just a moment ago, and it's something called All business relationships that you as a business person will make are likely going to start out with you being shangren, which of course means strangers, and is one of the categories of the Chinese relationship that exists outside of the family unit, with whom one party has not established any sort of meaningful relationship with the other in past interactions. The most common contenders in a business sense will include business customers or clients, one's own fellow employees too. Any interactions with this category of person are entirely superficial and temporary, as I said, wholly dominated by utilitarian concern. Basically, what can this person do for me? There is a focus on personal gain, and the very defining characteristic is on instrumentality with a level of affection, friendship, basically doing mutually beneficial business with a stranger with no personal elements added in. Secondly, guanxi is reciprocal. As I said in a previous episode that there is a cultural expectation of reciprocity in China, and guanxi certainly ties in with that rule. Refusing to return favours to someone that has given you a favour will lose you face and you'll be seen to be untrustworthy. At the human individual level, Guanxi links two people of mostly unequal rank and will often see the weaker partner, or the one with the lower hierarchical standing, using favours from the higher. With the difference being that the lower doesn't reciprocate the favour in kind, because they can't. They probably don't have the same level of connections as the higher, and it's not likely required anyway. Thirdly, guanxi is intangible. This is to say that it is invisible, open-ended, and is established with the expectation of a future of potentially unlimited favours being asked and granted. This isn't as tiresome as it sounds, though. Like any relationship, it needs to be serviced, nurtured, and built over time. Usually, in the business scenario, it includes what used to be known as entertaining clients, 
but we'll call it client care. Put yourself in that position for a second. It would be strange for anyone to exchange favours with someone for years. It's far too transactional of a relationship. You're pretty much strangers. You need to do the whole gift giving, business dinners, lunches, uh, everything like that that we're going to cover in a future episode. Guanxi is intangible because both parties are essentially committed to each other with that sense of reciprocity, and disregarding that will almost certainly lead to a loss of face. Fourthly, Guanxi is utilitarian and not emotional. As I mentioned earlier with Shengren, Guanxi is defined as a bond being created through favours instead of through sentiment. Guanxi doesn't actually have to involve friends, although it's preferred. Any relations within Guanxi that are no longer necessarily profitable are easily broken. There's nothing that I can get from them, I don't need them anymore. Because of that, it's often the case that individual Guanxi can be extended to the organisation with some form of fringe benefit or perk, and not always with immediate cash value, although it has been known. Employees in Chinese companies can earn commissions, bonuses and promotions based on any personal guanxi that they can bring to a team or organisation. Guanxi can easily be transferred between companies, exchanging favours in the form of employee secondment, skill sharing and resource allocation. Fifthly, Guanxi is contextual. The ways in which a person can cultivate Guanxi depends entirely on the context of a given relationship. Let's take the gift-giving aspect, for example. Don't worry if this doesn't seem like enough detail for you, it's going to have its own episode in the near future. Two of the biggest time-honoured gifts to give a Chinese person have been uh, expensive bottles of baijiu or a carton of cigarettes, as long as the recipient is a drinker or smoker, of course. But I think it's absolutely fair to say that the majority of Chinese business people of a certain generation are at least one of those things. A third example would be Chinese tea. Building Guanxi in these different contexts can have different appearances. For example, if you give someone a carton of cigarettes because he and his wife are expecting a child, that's absolutely acceptable and would be a welcomed gift. If you are in line for a promotion, then it might be seen as influential gift-giving. If you're giving someone a carton of cigarettes in order to secure a job for someone you know, then that would be seen as bribery, which we'll also be covering in more detail in a later episode. But because Guanxi is so contextual, it really does lend itself to the category of art more than science. The easy part is to understand the importance of Guanxi, but putting it into practice, that's the hard part. Sixthly, Guanxi is long-term. As Confucius would have it, many social interactions are ultimately underwritten with long-term benefit, and in this context, it's believed that contrast and contradiction, or the average person might know and identify as yin and yang, are inherent in aspects of daily life. It would be fair to say that relationships with powerful Guanxi are holstered until such times as they can be of significant use when they're the most needed. Such relationships are developed, reinforced and nurtured through a long life period of interaction and association with the other party. This is a stark contrast to the Western mindset, however, as our social interactions tend to play out with a particular emphasis on immediate personal gain. 
What's also interesting is that some relationships with the strongest levels of guanxi don't end, but are instead passed down through the generations if they are maintained correctly. And finally, number seven, guanxi is personal. When initially established between organizations, guanxi will continue through the development of personal relationships. If, for example, the employee who brought guanxi to their company leaves the company, then the company itself loses guanxi. Which is to say that it has no real group connotation in that sense. If, like me, you question the differences between guanxi and the styles of inter-organizational networking of the Western business practice, you'd be absolutely normal and right to do so. Personal attachment may indeed help to facilitate an interpartner cooperation, and it may also mitigate any conflict between companies, but the fact remains that the interpersonal relations of Guanxi are in no way a prerequisite for the intercompany networking of the West. In the West, if someone that I have a good business relationship with leaves their job at that company, I can, and usually do, either follow them because they understand my needs as a client, we have a good working relationship and all of that, I might choose to stay with the company because they might be cheaper than my contacts new business. But no matter how good of a relationship we have, it's not treated in the same way as interpersonal relationships of Guanxi because we simply don't work in that way. There is a lot to the philosophy side of this topic, and I'll leave that up to you to read in your spare time if you'd like to, because it would take hours for me to do that, and it's very complex indeed. But what I will do is go through some of the ways that we can help ourselves out when building Guanxi. But before I do that, there is a subtopic that I wanted to quickly touch on, and that is the back door, also known as... Just because there is often a system for how things are done does not necessarily mean that that system will be followed. Many, but not all, Chinese are so used to comfortably flouting the rules in order to get things done. Essentially, it means that they use their connections to get these things done in their own way, by making deals behind the scenes and bribing where necessary. One practical example that I'll use is smoking in China. Uh, in the places that you shouldn't smoke, where it's forbidden by signage and by law. Most commonly, Chinese security guards, in my experience, as I have lived in China, tend to meagerly enforce these rules, oftentimes breaking them themselves. I've witnessed this with my own eyes, as I've just said, and it's really something to behold, <laughs> especially when you come from a part of the world where corruption isn't really a thing. Let's say that Charlie wanted to have a cigarette, wherever he wanted because he thought it was more convenient that way, either in the shopping mall toilets or at a tourist attraction, Charlie would say to that security guard, is there somewhere that we can smoke? And if they're on the same wavelength, he'll know exactly what Charlie means. He will expect a cigarette for himself for the trouble, and Charlie would happily give him one and smoke one with him, probably give him one for later as well, saying, I'll give you one for your troubles and you have a hard job standing all day, etc, etc. If he was a cartoon character, he would have winked. Uh, that isn't to say that it's right, however, but it happens every single day. I have yet to meet the lowly paid, flag-saluting security guard that would forgo a free cigarette or two just to uphold the rules that are flouted anyway. 
depending on your circumstances, the business or industry that you're in, then this advice might differ. But, as I said earlier, there's no quick fix to rapidly developing a trusting relationship with anyone in life, but least of all with the Chinese. Similarly to the ways in which you can earn yourself face, there are certain ways that one can improve one's guanxi with the Chinese. Now, I say that it might depend on which job or industry you work in, because it's true. There are certain ways that salespeople or key account managers can build guanxi with their clients that don't really apply to other roles. Generally speaking, Westerners need to build guanxi as quickly and as effectively as they can. Oftentimes, as we're used to following the rules and going through official channels to navigate the red tape, this is almost certain to be futile in whichever way it is done. A word of caution though, I like to use the analogy of a credit card when it comes to Guanxi. You wouldn't keep swiping your credit card without paying it off. In the same way, you should continue to monitor your building Guanxi obligations as they do build up. As I said earlier, these favours done aren't being done out of the kindness of people's hearts. They are absolutely expecting these favours to be reciprocated at a later date. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Going into the favours side of the topic, you should absolutely be expecting to repay these at any time. One of the biggest points to remember is that Guanxi isn't a facade to impress people. It relies upon displays of trust and dependability. So what tends to work well is to begin with smaller favours and then build up to bigger things. If you offer to do something and it can be a small gesture, but anything that proves that you are someone that can be trusted and relied upon. The first point would be to show off any kind of knowledge you have about Chinese culture. I know I mentioned this before uh, on a topic of face, but the Chinese are such a proud people and subtly displaying any kind of knowledge about China or, you know, flexing your Mandarin or Cantonese or whatever uh, would certainly help to establish a kind of immediate connection. And even though it's a surface connection, it is a start. Secondly is formal introductions. If you are planning on building a relationship via a middleman and the established connection is of a higher status, that means that you are far more likely to establish a reliable connection. Thirdly, uh, gift giving. Now, I know we'll touch on this again soon, but I'll just go for it anyway. Gift giving for the purposes of building Guanxi is important in its own right. If you're from Australia, for example, then uh, a toy koala might be an idea. It sounds daft, but it is. If you really want to dazzle a Chinese business person, and I mean dazzle, then you can always combine gift giving with your knowledge of Chinese culture and then give them a good brand of Chinese tea. This might require some research on your part, but if you do, then don't skimp. Teas from Fujian province, for example, are apparently a good idea. And fourthly, dining and entertaining. As I mentioned before, showing them a night on the town isn't really the key to everything, but as your relationship starts to grow, then it's entirely possible that you as a foreign business partner will be invited for lunches, dinners, and other forms of entertainment, including golf and karaoke. <laughs> yes, really. 
If you have the honour of being invited to an associate's house as a dinner guest, it is an honour and you should absolutely not arrive empty-handed. We'll cover that later, but that's all. Uh, those are a few points to help you out. Take what you've learned in this episode and absolutely begin to apply it to your dealings with the Chinese over time, because you never know where it could take your relationships. But that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening to The Eastern Connection. Be sure to join me next time for more how to do business with the Chinese. Until then, take care, and I'll see you on the next one.